0: We have another episode of the Chalice Chasers podcast coming at you today. Um, We're getting near the end of the baseball season, and uh, I'm very excited to get this episode out. Um, The guest today is a dear friend of mine, Marty Babbitts. Marty is a Renaissance man in every sense of the word. He's an accomplished author, devout supporter of his beloved Penn Quakers, a lawyer and a scholar, a Frank Sinatra impersonator, and most of all, a very serious fantasy baseball player. Marty splits his baseball faith between his longtime team, the New York Yankees, and his new team, the Milwaukee Brewers. He is a father to four children, three of which are serious fantasy baseballers. Marty Babbitts, welcome to the Chalice Chasers podcast.
1: Hey, Steve. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate
0: it. Absolutely. I really appreciate you coming on here. And, uh, um, so I'd love to kind of dig into it first of all. Um it's kind of interesting. Your your longtime team is the New York Yankees and your newfound team is the Milwaukee Brewers. Could you explain that a little bit uh for our listeners out there?
1: Yeah, sure, Steve. It's uh it's an exciting story and uh fantasy baseball is at the uh at kind of at the heart of it. I I mean, I grew up in uh in northern New Jersey. And up in Bergen County, um, when you are born, you basically uh, get stamped with two things on your forehead, um, Yankees and Giants, Uh, you know, and so I've been a lifelong Yankees fan, (laughs) um, even though I lived down here in the Philadelphia area for most of my adult life. Um, And, uh, you know, I've always loved baseball, it's been been, uh, probably my favorite sport throughout my life. And. Um, I, um, I was into fantasy baseball, um, you know, I'm I'm a few years older than you, Steve, so I got into fantasy baseball probably in the 90s when, I think it was, might have still been called rotisserie baseball (laughs) at the time, or maybe it was starting to evolve into the phrase fantasy, and, you know, you you, I did it with some some friends at work, and you know, and and you know, you would put things in on paper sheets to the commissioner, and um, you know, there there was no technology, so it made it kind of uh, fun and interesting, you know, running your sheets and getting your waivers in at the right time, and uh, very very different than it is today with the technology we have. Um, and then I probably after several years of that in the '90s, or I probably had a break of I probably good 10 years you know i, I changed uh, jobs and careers and so i did not the same uh, work friends and then um 2008 uh my nephew um asked if if i wanted to be in in in, in a fantasy baseball league and i had been a long time so i said sure i'd love to um and he had a couple other slots and you know my my kids were were younger at the time um but um you know they they said they you know he had a couple extra slots so what we did is I had one of my younger sons be a, a kind of assistant GM with me and then uh, two of the other boys uh, ran a team together and that year turned out to be a pivotal year in the Babbitts family uh and baseball our baseball history because that year um my oldest son kind of caught the baseball fever. And he was a big baseball fan, but he really caught the fantasy baseball fever and he enjoyed it so much that um, the following year, 2009, he said, hey, I'm going to start our own league. Um, and we had uh, my nephew come into our league and that league's been going ever since. And it's been a really source of it. just a, a lot of fun and enjoyment, but really it kindled a passion in my oldest son. And uh, now he doesn't do fantasy uh, baseball for fantasy sake he almost you could say he does it kind of for a living because um, he decided you know as he went through middle school that um, you know he really loved you know what was bit back of this and ultimately he uh, he was able to uh, you know start a career in baseball and for a few years now he's been been working in baseball operations with the Milwaukee Brewers so uh, clearly that means the Brewers have supplanted the Yankees as my number one team still a big Yankees fan, and fortunately, there's not a lot of conflict between the two teams based on their position within the, uh, within the American national league.
0: Oh, wow. That's a, that's a fantastic story. And, uh, it is interesting to hear about how, uh, fantasy baseball is kind of what got the bug, um, in your one son in regards to just like kind of being hooked on, uh, um, all things baseball. It's, it's interesting to hear how fantasy is the, uh, the, um, the beginning source of that, um, Marty, I see here in looking through some of your historical stats to that league that you mentioned that you guys used to play in and I see that you won in 09, you won in 2011, 2012, 2013 and 2014. So you and you were in the championship in 2012 or in 2010. So you were in it six straight years and won 5 of those 6 leagues what uh, was this just like dominance uh in regards to just like you know knocking it out of the park with strategy or were were your boys still too young to know what was going on? Was it just an easy uh easy opponent? Uh, walk me through a little bit of that uh that dynasty
1: yeah uh well i know my wife would like to think that it was me taking advantage of uh, young kids or something like that but you know, we had a we had a diverse league um it was a 12 team league for those uh, earlier years um as opposed to the 14 uh team league it is today um and there were you know a few of the the, the younger guys and a couple friends of my my kids but there were also some of my peers and friends so it was kind of a mixed league, and there were some, you know, they were they were serious, and uh, you know, they, they was, they were smart baseball guys. Uh, even the, the, you know, my kids and a couple of their friends. So, uh, one of whom went on to have a pr- pretty good career in college baseball. Um, so, you know, the, it was a real thing. I, I think it was um, probably uh, probably a combination of of luck and maybe some some skill, but I, you know, I think it was more better lucky than good in in some respects. Um, that first year, 2009, um, I had gotten my, my head handed to me in 2008 in, in my, my, my nephew's league. And um, I decided I, I'd get a little more focused on it. Um, I got very fortunate. In 2009, um, uh, Ryan Braun, talking about the Milwaukee Brewers, it's it's funny because this was years before. Uh, Ryan Braun uh, you know, had had a good kind of breakout year in 0- 08. So um, I just loved the you know the Hebrew Hammer moniker. That he had. <laughs> um, so I got very fortunate to take him and Chase Utley in my first two picks, and Utley decided to have you know just a massive career year. You know those two guys both finished with single digit rankings, and that just set me up. <clears throat> and because I you know went offense strong, I, I I it kind of set a pattern for for my ba- my fantasy strategy for really uh, un, you know that it's always been throughout these 12 years in the league with the exception of this year and that's why i'm falling off this year is that you know i i, I wait to to draft pitchers and I, I i do a lot of streaming and i just try to dominate or, or win in uh, strikeouts and wins and i i'm willing to punt era and and whip and you know, maybe the, the blind squirrel gets a nut on, on one of those two categories from, from here, you know, once in a while. Um, and then I, I, I try to get saves. Like I, sometimes I'll, I'll draft a, uh, a closer early. So, you know, trying to get those three categories and then trying to, uh, pick, you know, like three of the five offensive categories that I can hopefully dominate in, but it just kind of worked out that way, the way t- the, the framework of 2009 worked out with Braun and Utley. Um, and, uh, that year was a special year for me because I actually did not lose a single week. <laughs> I went wire really? to wire. Um, I, I, I don't know how, how that happened, but I went wire to wire um, without losing a single week and, and then, and, and won. So that was kind of a, a neat year and, and I guess gave me confidence and it also gave me, like I said, a strategic framework. Um, so, so that I was able to win five out of six, those six years with a, Heartbreaking loss in the championship in 2010 um, using that kind of strategy.
0: What um, so there's so much there that I'd love to unpack, and I guess I'll start with the last uh, comment. Uh, everyone under everyone knows and remembers heartbreak very vividly. Uh, do you have any vivid memories of that uh, 2010 uh, championship heartbreak? Oh
1: yeah, I remember it all all too well. Um, I was going down you know, down to the wire um, with actually my oldest son, the one who now uh, doesn't do fantasy uh, for fun, but does it for, you know, kind of a living in baseball operations. Um, It it was he and I in the championship and I had beaten him in the regular season. uh, So if I could just tie him, uh, I would have won. Um, And it came down to um, ERA and WHIP. He had me on ERA, as I recall, but it was, it was down to whip and um, I I was streaming and I had room for one pitcher, one additional pitcher. And it was either going to be John Lackey or, or Andy Pettit. And I did, you know, I overthought this thing, you know, it was the last day of, you know, a two week championship um, and I overthought it and I went with Lackey because I think Pettit was pitching at Fenway that day and I was concerned, you know, the small ballpark hitter friendly. I went with Lackey who was in a, a more pitcher friendly park. I don't remember what one it was and um, what really burns me up about that. So of course, Lackey blew up, you know, petted through a gym um, and, you know, that that cost me whip and and the, uh, the championship. If I made the other decision, I would have won. And, um, you know, you never know You know, the butterfly effect if I still would have won 2011 through 14, but could have had six straight, um, which would be very Yankees like, right, (laughs) in terms of, uh, uh, you know, stringing along championships. But um, what it did teach me to your point, Steve, earlier about, uh, you know, do you go with, um, you know, your gut or do you go with, you know, overanalyze things? I I hopefully learned maybe too much to a fault. I go more with my uh, feelings, and that's cost me in, in the other direction. Um, but what really, because what really killed me about this one is that I I don't like John Lackey. I never liked him. He's kind of a, a jerk. Some people may remember when he he called out the legendary Mike Sosha, his manager with the Angels during a playoff game, came out to pull him, and he started screaming at him, you know, in front of hundred, you know, millions of people. Um, whereas Andy Pennett had it one of the class acts of baseball, one of my heroes as a Yankees fan. Um, so it was such a huge uh, mistake to not go with with my gut. Um, that same year, by the way, I think it was the same year, just uh, as an aside um, in fantasy football, I was in the in the championship and uh, on the final, uh, week of our championship, you know, it was like the last week or so of the regular season. And you know, for you, for those of you who do fancy football as well, you know that that can be a problem because you don't know which of your top guys are going to get rested, you know, waiting for their playoffs, which will start the next week or so. Right. So red, Reggie Wayne, I wound up uh, benching him because it, it the appearances were that he was going to be rested ahead of the playoffs. Um and I put in some other guy who didn't do anything. Uh, Reggie Wayne wound up playing the first half and getting three touchdowns. So that cost me the championship in football. I've never won a football fantasy championship that would have done it. So around the same time, I made those, you know, kind of mistakes that you, you just, you know, you lose sleep over. <laughs> and you think back uh, to this day. Um so I have another reverse of that with the 2014, which was my last championship of that, that string, which I can give you if you want, but we we, we we don't have to get into that unless you'd like to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What happened in 2014?
1: The so 2014 was kind of the reverse. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I had to make a decision. We went down the final day in the championship. And um, uh, one of my, you know, again, as a Yankees fan, uh, Tanaka, uh just uh loved Tanaka he had just come back and he was going to uh to 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 get a start and by all accounts he was probably only going to maybe pitch a couple innings because he was just coming back they didn't want to um you know overtax him um I'm just trying to remember if the Yankees were in the postseason that year and they were making sure they were going to care be careful with him um but in any event um I went with my gut on that one and I used one of my slots uh, for him and he wound up going like six innings and you know just pitching the lights out um, and and that gave me whip again it came down to whip and I won whip by I think like 0.02 um, as a result of going with my gut I went the complete reverse of 2010 so I, I learned from my mistakes I went with the, you know one of my favorite guys um and he did me right. (laughs) So I guess you can, you can learn from your mistakes, uh, you know, one way or another sometimes.
0: Absolutely. Have you in, in speaking about that? So with sticking towards the, um, intuition side, have you in more modern days, uh, modern days talking as if it's like years ago? Um, no, have you started to develop, uh, any interest in the Saber metrics or a lot of the, like, uh, quantitative side of fantasy baseball
1: yeah that's where you know you said at the start of the the, the podcast Steve that I'm a serious fantasy baseballer and I I don't know if it's accurate because I don't get nearly into the numbers that a lot of people do like I I often I, I I run with streak streaky guys um you know I'll 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 look at um you know, the ranks for the last seven, 14, 30 days when I, I pick guys up and, um, and and I'm not nearly as digging into numbers as, as I know you do from our many conversations uh, about fantasy baseball and with you know, with you participating in, in the, the league now. Um, so I don't, but I will say this, um, when you talk about the, the family history and the fact that I'm so happy that one of my sons is now in baseball operations doing this kind of work, um, the, uh, the book Moneyball had been out for a while um, around this time, back in 08, 09, when, you know, the origin of our league. And um, I, I read it and I thought it was fantastic. Um, and <clears throat> I, I introduced, again, I brought the book into my oldest son who, you know, used to love to read when he had been younger, but now he's in middle school and, you know, how sometimes people get lazy and they don't want to do anything extra that they don't have to. So I thought maybe I'd encourage him to do a little extra reading beyond his schoolwork. And it was clearly on baseball, which I knew he loved. So I said, hey, this is a great book. You know, you're starting to get into fancy baseball. You know, maybe give it a read. I said, yeah, sure, Danny took and kind of pitched it aside. You know, like he's never going to touch this thing. Well, a couple of weeks later, I um I wanted to say hey did you ever um did you ever get started uh, on that book or check it out and he said dad i've already read it 3 times that's amazing <laughs> so, so i i knew he had found his passion so i asked him you know what really lit the fire for you to get into uh in, in into baseball operations and and analytics and so forth um you know he always says it was fantasy but i, I think i um, i i believe that um you know moneyball and uh, maybe may, may triggered it for him as well and then he started reading some other analytics books uh, that I'm not even you know uh, f- familiar with so um, I personally don't dig nearly as deep on that kind of thing um, I'm more of a baseball fan who does fantasy baseball yeah. and you know the, the reverse but
0: um, I don't I don't think you're uh in the minority there I, I still even in a uh regular baseball uh i know there's still a lot of scouts that uh, kind of say that they think a lot of it's kind of hoopla um and i'm, I'm sure your son would know better than uh the rest but uh, i heard the other night have you the yankees were on have you seen they called up uh um that pitcher they keep calling him up and sending them down i think it's like Luis gill yeah yeah and I, I think it was bob costas was on the mlb network uh announcing the game and bob costas was like talking about a story about how when he used to uh, kind of talk to some scouts back in the day, the, the, he found that a lot of scouts used to just always say that like a person had like the face for baseball. They're like, he, he just, it's in his face. Like he's, he's got the, he's got the face of an ace. And Bob Costas was just like talking about how, you know, Luis Gill he's got the face. And so uh, it's funny how uh, there is that big numbers world out there, but uh, sometimes all you got to do is just look in the face and all, uh, oh, it's all right there.
1: <laughs> well, you know, Steve, as, 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 if you've seen it, you know, and, and many of the listeners probably have seen the, uh, the movie version of Moneyball, they really, you know, play that up. You know, the, the, the scouts are sitting in the room with um, Billy Bean, uh, right. Played by Brad Pitt. Right. And they're saying, uh, you know, we can't draft that guy. Uh, and they go, well, why not? He's got, a, you know, he's got an ugly girlfriend. You know, he's <laughs> not confident. You know? or, or then another guy will say, oh, this guy's ready to play. He looks the part. You know, you look at the part. Now we, we just have to put him in the big show uh, or, you know, boy, when, when he hits that ball, you can hear it. You hear that sound, you know, those kind of things. There's just really satirizing uh, scouts. But, you know, Steve, from my uh, understanding and the way the, the better baseball teams uh, are really now synthesizing the two very well. And it's, maybe there may have been a swing to the extreme on analytics, um, and you know, you look at the teams with the big budgets, the Phillies included, the Yankees, of course, uh, who build these hundred-plus-person uh, analytics uh, departments, and um, the, the, the teams that are running more on a shoestring uh, that can't do that are finding that they can synthesize uh, scouting and analytics and have, you know. People who can can put those things together um, into actionable, you know, summaries. Uh, that you know the GMs and the assistant GMs can 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 work from. Uh, you know, there's that one scene in the Moneyball where, where Brad Pitt, as Billy Bean, is on the plane, he's trying to look at all the numbers, you know, like the Bill James abstracts and his eyes are tired and he can't focus. Um, and you know, GMs are people and they're the ones who are ultimately the buck stops with them and they make the decisions. So um, when when you can the, the summarization of the analytics and the the synthesis with scouting because scouting can be very valuable it's, it's just there's no question about it because players are also humans and yeah. there are some character elements and there are some other elements that go beyond the number so um, when you see teams like tampa who are just, year after year they just have bushels of you know great pitching and and, and other uh, you know uh, farm guys coming out of their ears um and you know i'll say the brewers because they they're in the same boat they have a very small budget small market and they're having success doing oh, the same yeah. kind of thing Adamus,
0: so, like those guys yeah, yeah i know exactly what yeah. you mean just value
1: yeah watching watching uh willie adamas night after night um you see that there's things that transcend the numbers i mean he's putting up great numbers with the brewers but you know there's just certain certain elements like i i you know as a yankees fan you know so i don't like the Mets. you know if you like the yankees you typically hate the Mets. and you know watching over the years the Mets uh, sometimes are really good at putting together you know great teams on paper but they just don't as as you've seen as Phillies fans see they just don't synthesize into uh you know great teams so there are some elements that go beyond the numbers all that to say i think you and i would both agree that the numbers and the analytics are critically important and they have absolutely transformed baseball and in many ways made it much better because uh you know it's more enjoyable as fans to be able to have access to these numbers and and to enjoy them as fantasy baseballers but also to see you know the teams that you root for and, and see how teams use and leverage um you know what was not really out there until you know the last couple of decades and and probably make it a better sport and and right more competitive as a result i mean when you can see certain teams that can can leverage uh, analytics um and and get be competitive and you get that more parity in major league baseball that you didn't have years ago. And I say that tongue in cheek as a, a Yankees fan, because I enjoyed, I enjoy the, the baseball history and how dominant the Yankees were when you right. know the, the smaller market teams didn't have these tools that they, they could utilize.
0: And it's funny. And you say the smaller market teams, because the, um, when you look at the numbers, like the Rays have a huge, a, like percentage chance of winning the world series this year mm. based off how they've been performing. Yet, if yeah. you were to look at their odds, like implicit in like, say like a gambling market, it's much lower. And so it's like, who's right? Like the, mm. the public or the numbers. And it's, it'll be interesting. The um, if the Rays win one in the next few years, uh, someone out there will be making a lot of money somewhere, you know? Um, you yeah. And as a Yankees, as a Yankees fan, you know, and they're in, in
1: the division, um, I still would be really, really happy and excited for Tampa and for baseball if they do, because it'd just be, be great. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing the Brewers win one either because they, they have some you know similar characteristics in terms of uh, real small market, real small front office, and um, you know, clearly uh, they're in the wrong league with the with the Dodgers and the, and the Padres and the giants, but um, you know, still having a, you know, pretty good shot as well. Um, I think it's great for baseball uh, team. And it's great for baseball. To see a team like the giants who, you know, right. can can turn things around so quickly and, 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 you know, the human element. I mean, I don't want to take any dig at uh, Phillies fans who are might be, be listening, but to see, you know, it's good to see Gabe Kapler, you know, doing well and turning a team around like that. And, you know, maybe he, he actually maybe was a scapegoat uh, in Philly because he sure seems like he knows what he's doing out there this year.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. They look fantastic. And it is cool to see him doing well. Cause you never know when um, like, you never know who's to blame or what, what worked and what didn't work. I know there's a couple of people in our league who are pretty adamant that they don't like Joe Girardi as a manager for the Phillies uh, because I'm, I believe and he might have changed recently you you know this probably much more than i do because i'm not the biggest phillies fan um but like i believe joe girardi is an old school manager not very numbers driven uh and so i think that's where some of this uh like adversarial view of him comes from but i'm uh am i getting that right is or has he changed is he more numbers now do you know
1: yeah it's funny steve i think he's starting to trend back more to old school he, first of all, I think the world of Joe uh, Girardi as a person. He's just a class act through and through. He is a tremendous guy. When the Yankees won the World Series in two thousand nine, um, he was driving home <clears throat> after the celebration and so forth, and he came across a, uh, a stranded motorist, um, and you know he he helped her. He, the, the the car couldn't be could be fixed. Like it wasn't just changing a spare tire. So he called. AAA waited till they came and, you know, this is wow. the night he's, he's won the World Series. That's just the kind of person he is. yeah um, And, you know, you just see it when you hear him in, in post game interviews and things. But having said that, uh, when he was manager of the Yankees, I like when he was manager of the Yankees. I really did. I thought he did a fine job. Um, but I, I always called him Binder Boy. To your question <laughs> because he he had this giant loose leaf binder and you would see him consulting it all the time and it always seemed like he made critical pitching and other decisions um in in game time uh based on as you say analytics at least it appeared that way um so he's kind of old school because he's kind of like a character guy he, he wants to have he wants to create a, a positive environment he, he doesn't um <clears throat> tries not to suffer fools so to speak and tries to keep some kind of uh reasonable discipline in the, in the clubhouse and things like that but i think he he does um work from analytics however it seems like in its time with the phillies he's he's reined that back a little bit i mean i can't say that for sure but that's what it seems like like maybe he's he's learning like you know that he does need to maybe go go with his gut a little bit more and I think his gut is really good if he trusts it if he would trust it more you know, anyone who's a catcher um, just has a real good feel for for pitchers and pitching decisions I think so as a you know as a catcher um, as a player I just think he would trust his gut more although you know I'm not a Phillies fan so <laughs> I, I, I root for him not necessarily
0: for the Phillies yeah absolutely I then maybe um uh, and I have to agree with you. He is an absolute class act. And uh, uh, I may be mistaken the, um, the like um, anti analytics movement in regards to maybe the GM or an older GM who might be moved on. But uh, uh, yeah, it is cool to see Girardi out there. Uh, I, I, I know what you mean in the um, suffers full side uh, when he, when he gets upset, he looks like he's gonna like he had to pull a pitcher the other night. I, I, I thought he, was, I thought he was gonna slap the guy. Like, like he just like he looks mad. It's like almost like a a fatherly like a disciplinary. But uh, bring, bring him back to that because I still wanted to unpack a couple of the things you said early on. One, and we don't need to discuss it much, but I'm very very aware of. Um, how good Chase Utley and Ryan Braun were in 2009. And I understand why you won every single game that year. Uh, I remember that vividly. Like Chase Utley, I, I think he got off to such a blistering start. Like I'd never seen someone like in the month of April, I think it was 09, where he just Homer after Homer after Homer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The fact that you had him and Braun, whew, yeah. I, uh, that would be tough.
1: Yeah, I, I I think Braun Braun was it wasn't like Braun was taking anyone by surprise, but it was um, it was kind of his second year league. He had a really good rookie campaign, uh, you know. He was kind of. I, I think I took him earlier than maybe I needed to, but it turned out to be. I just uh, enamored by this guy, you know, that Hebrew hammer. And I just seemed like, you know, and of course, to this day, he's like, you know, one of my all time favorite players. I mean, that that's what's so fun about fantasy baseball. Right. I mean, you you, you, you get a player and, you, you know, he does something good for you and you wind up, you know, loving him and you want to have him on your roster. I, I had Braun on my roster so many years out of the last, you know, till right up until, you know, he retired. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't officially retired until he stopped uh, playing um, in the last year or so. Uh, it just, you know, the, and I think I had ugly too, and and certain people you just like to have. And then on the other side, and you talked about, um, you know, going with your gut or analytics, I, I made big mistakes because <clears throat> I've um, – had someone who who did me wrong, like I, I remember, forget what season it was. It was three or four years ago. Trevor Story decided to roll out of bed and have just an awful year relative to you know how unbelievably great he is. So I passed on him because I had him on my roster that year. I drafted him probably in the first round, I think, and uh, you know it, it probably cost me uh big time and uh so i i never drafted again even when i've had opportunities and should have um like maybe this year i should have uh, and and i didn't and it's just because you it's a certain guys and you just hate because they did you wrong <laughs> that one year um and uh, it's just it's just funny it, I'm not saying everyone does that. I'm probably more serious fantasy baseballers than myself, but I sometimes now let emotion uh, get the better of me or, um, you know, if I just, a guy I don't like, like, "Ah, for whatever reason, I don't like Cody Bellinger. Uh, There's no logical reason. He seems, he seems smug to me. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it is about his face and I just don't like, so I, you know, I pass up like this year. I just made some dreadful mistakes uh, in the first two two rounds and, you know, so I'm almost definitely going to miss the playoffs. Whereas you were talking about 09 where, you know, I over drafted on Braun and and I took out Lee where there were some other guys that could take and it just worked out. So, um you know you can make up for stuff you can make a mistake in the first round or two and 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 make up you know you, sometimes you get fortunate like i took jose baptiste baptiste off the trash heap in the year that turned out to be his breakout year same with charlie blackman and things like that happen but you know um, you have to have a decent draft and as you know steve being in our league i i definitely went with my feelings too much this year I, it was like all yankees and brewers and, <laughs> and uh, if the brewers hadn't turned i'd be the best team in baseball over the last few months um i'd really be out of it and now the yankees as we've seen are they're the best team Bay. they're on an absolute tear they actually overtook their the red Sox by sweeping them last night they, they jumped ahead of them which is just shocking when you look at what the the, uh, the the division looked like you know just a, a few weeks ago, um, so you really live and die by that. When you 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 know it's like in investing, right? You get concentrated. It might work for you, but it might not. It might yeah. work really. So I, I I get a little bit too concentrated lately um, because I it's fun. Let's face it, Steve. It's fun to have players you like or players on teams you like on your fantasy roster, and and that can you know. So when you talk about being a serious fantasy baseballer, that's where. I probably, especially the last couple of years, have um to a fault on that. And, you know, now our league is a fourteen team league as opposed to twelve. And that just makes it tough. The, there are just too many early birds getting the worms on um on on, you know, um the pickups picking guys up. And and I just you know, I can't get up at three in the morning like some guys do to right. make those selections. So um, it makes it a little tougher. Back in those early days in 09, 10, 2011, you, know, you couldn't do stuff on your phone as easily. I I, had a, I remember going down in my basement, sometimes in the middle of the night to pull up on my computer and my, my wife would be, what the hell are you doing you know, But especially in the playoffs, but I just don't have that um, ability. And if I do, People are always beating me to the the pickups. Like, you—that's probably the biggest difference in our league, going from twelve to fourteen teams, and just there are too many Johnny on the spot type of uh, teams, uh, you know, and managers in our our league now.
0: Yeah, the um, uh, the category leagues do lend themselves to. Uh, a little bit of a managerial edge, and uh, we discussed that with another uh, member of my other league uh, on another podcast. And he was talking about how there's just so many, so many little edges and low-hanging fruit you can pick up that like makes such a difference. But I, uh, Marty, I couldn't agree more with you in regards to uh, kind of that like recency bias uh, when it comes to drafting. I feel like I'm stuck in the same like loop since I first started playing in 08 like every year it plagues me because I don't draft guys because they burn me the year before. And then (laughs) it's just like, and it's just been one big, one big like negative feedback loop for me. And so hopefully, uh, hopefully I can break out of this soon, but uh, um, all the things you said there are, were just uh, fantastic. And I know a lot of people can relate to them. Uh, I got to ask about like what it's like under the uh, Babbitts roof, during, uh, when, so let's say like five years ago when you used to have everyone under the same roof. Um, maybe it might've even been longer than that. Uh, what was it like? Would you guys watch baseball together? Would you guys talk fantasy baseball a lot? What like on Sundays, would you guys all get together and kind of watch the the horses come down the stretch? Like, uh, what t- tell me, tell me about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. See, it, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, it, and, and that, that really, you know, having a league like this where, you know, you have um, four uh, people on the same roof for, for several years while my older guy was, was doing it as well. And, it, you know, watching together and especially like on a, on a Sunday, especially as you get later into the league and, you know, if all of us or most of us were still in it or if we were playing each other in a key week or something, um, watching, and, you know, we, we've got the, um, the MLB uh, package on cable back in those years this was before MLB TV which is so great I mean anybody who doesn't have MLB TV for what is it like 99 bucks a year and, and can't call themselves a serious baseball fan I agree so so accessible but back then you know Comcast would rip us off for 200 a year or whatever it was to have a much inferior product because you know you you tune into the game and you can't pick which feed you listen to. And, you know, I just remember watching some Yankees, White Sox games and the White Sox crew back then was so brutal. I'd have to turn the volume down and turn on the radio um, to, 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 to listen to John Sterling, but you know, it doesn't sync up with what's on the TV and, you know, and and everybody would get mad at me, but I, I, you know, Uh, but yeah, we, we had a lot of fun watching together. What's interesting is um, one of my sons, Who's in? Who's been in it? You know since the start. Um, he he um, you know he he's not going into baseball. He's, he's just starting his career in 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 a different field. But um, he would never watch baseball. Like we'd watch Yankees games, things, and you know he would maybe have the patience for an inning or so, and then he would leave and go do something else. Well, this year I didn't know this because he was a senior in college, so he wasn't at home. But I found out that he is obsessed with uh fancy's doing well, but with watching the games and watching his players and watching what's going on and seeing guys who we can maybe pick up. I mean, he has his computer on at all times with four screens going, watching, oh, wow. you know, games on MLB TV. And then sometimes he has another one on his phone. I mean, it, it, it was very, let's say, rewarding and enjoyable for me to find this out now that he's been home for, you know, for the summer, um, just watching him and experiencing him be so uh focused on watching baseball not just being a serious fantasy baseballer because a lot of guys can do that i mean there are guys who work in baseball and analytics and they they're not even baseball fans they're right. they're very gifted and skilled with this with the statistics and the numbers and the analytics but you know they go home and you know they watch another sport or they, they don't even like sports and and that to me i don't know that Take, can take something away so to see uh you know that my, my son Keith get locked in on watching and enjoying the game and, and we go you know going to a couple games together that has been so so enjoyable for me and you know again it's one of the fun byproducts of, of fantasy baseball that um you, you know, you, 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 hope for, and you, you, you know, you don't expect, but, you know, it, it can have tentacles and, and, you know, kind of like a, a rock in the pond and, you know, some of the, uh, you know, what, what it, what it does in terms of spreading some other things. And that, that that's been this year, something I really enjoyed.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, um, four screens at once. That's so cool. Uh, <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely really plugged in. Um, I, uh, I am a little bit in between in regards to uh, I kind of have a little bit of a superstition where I don't love watching my pitchers. I feel like um, (laughs) I remember uh, I think it was this year. I think it was Dylan Bundy's first game or something like that, or maybe this was last year, but I turned on first inning grand slam. It's like, all right, this is off. (laughs) I'm not going to watch another pitcher. So it's, it's cool to hear how there's no uh, family superstitions or anything like that going on in the Babbitt's household. Um, well, well, Marty, it's been it's been absolutely great having you on here. Um, I'd love to just like one last question before we wrap this up. Uh, um, I know I, I mentioned in your introduction that um, you uh, are a very big fan of Frank Sinatra, and um, you actually you know you do some uh, some shows where you uh, where you impersonate him, and you you were just thinking about starting your own podcast on the f- um, Frank Sinatra kind of um, topic. Uh, did Frank had any ties to the MLB or was he a baseball fan back in the day? Do you happen to know?
1: Yeah, Steve. As a matter of fact, um, uh, Frank Sinatra was a was a big baseball fan. He loved he absolutely loved baseball. You know, he grew up in Hoboken, um, you know, right across the Hudson River from from New York, um, and uh, as is typical. Um, and I can say this because my dad was the same way, uh, you know, Sinatra grew up in a, you know, low, really not, I wouldn't say abject poverty, but he, you know, he was not, um, you know, had, had a very modest childhood, like my dad, who did grow up poor. So guys like that back in those days, um, hated the Yankees because that was a rich man's team. So he was a Dodgers fan. And, you know, then it turned out he wound up moving to um to, to LA and Hollywood for his career and the Dodgers of course moved moved to LA. So he was a lifelong Dodgers fan, big fan. Um, mm-hmm. he threw out a ball at least a few times at games, uh the Dodgers like playoff games and things. Um, and he just loved the Dodgers, and also had some some really neat friendships. Uh, this kind of is interesting to say this because some of the friendships he had were with Yankees, um, Casey Stingle, uh, Casey Stingle, and uh, Joe DiMaggio. He had A very close friendship with with uh, with the Yankee Clipper. Um, there's also a connection there with Marilyn Monroe, who DiMaggio <laughs> married. But we that's a that's for a different podcast. <laughs> yes, uh, but but no, it's a huge uh, Yankees fan and. Uh, I'm sorry huge baseball fan and Dodgers fan and most importantly there is a beautiful song for anyone who likes Sinatra but doesn't know his entire catalog um, it's called there used to be a ballpark and it happens to be about um, uh, Ebbets Field and you know where, where, where the Dodgers used to play um, it was written by a guy named Joe Raposo who actually wrote all the music for Sesame Street and things but he wrote this song and Sinatra recorded in the seventies. And It's just a just for a baseball fan and someone who likes great music, maybe like Sinatra. There used to be a ballpark. It's just a, a wonderfully emotional song um, uh, that so so where he pays tribute to the Dodgers and particularly to you know their New York uh, Brooklyn roots. Really neat stuff.
0: Very cool. I uh, I, I have not come across that, and uh, I will definitely uh, be checking that out. I really um, I really appreciate that tidbit of knowledge, Marty. Oh, sure um so again uh speaking i know you mentioned a lot of uh, class acts uh throughout the podcast but uh there's none other than yourself um i really do appreciate you coming on here and uh um again the um i wish you best of luck in your fantasy endeavors and uh, uh it's just been absolutely fantastic to have you on
1: well thanks Dave. i wish the same to you and i know you and i are uh kind of on the outside looking in a little bit but uh, maybe one of us will be fortunate and in, uh, crack into the uh, <laughs> into the postseason in, uh, in that league uh, you know we'll see how it shakes out
0: yes best of luck to you and uh um hopefully uh hopefully one of us can get into the playoffs so all right well that that's it for the challenge chasers podcast and uh, again uh special thanks to marty Babbitts